1: And we're back, boys, another episode of the Running Rugby podcast, and I've decided that we know nothing about rugby after these results on the weekend. Absolutely the opposite of everything we thought was going to happen. I'm joined by Leo and Toby here um, to break down what uh, what even happened on the weekend. We had a resurgent Australian team come out and absolutely um, throw the Springboks team off the pace, um, taking the win. Seemed a bit closer in the end, but well in hand throughout the 80 minutes by the Wallabies here, win one game, 25-17. And then the Pumas, the second ever win over the All Blacks, but the first ever win um, in New Zealand, uh, once again, just held this All Blacks team at bay and come out winners 25-18 in this one. So rugby championship is all over the place at the moment. Argentina still on top. Um, on nine points, only ahead of Australia by a four and against, with New Zealand and South Africa trailing behind in third and fourth, respectively as well. Boys, talk me through the Wallaby performance at Adelaide Oval.
2: It was awesome. It was uh, we we didn't get bad hodge, we got good hodge or goodish hodge, safe hodge. So the the high ball tests that we were given, we dominated, which was excellent. That's was one of my sort of big fears, they'd be um, testing us over and over and over. And if we showed any frailty there early, it would just become a bigger and bigger pressure point, bigger, bigger um, sort of mental you know, issue for us. And and that didn't happen. And then all the, all the ball play uh, that we've seen, so many opportunities in recent games that sort of went to ground or uh, balls dropped or lost in contact, it, it all just stuck the hand stuck. The passing was tighter. Um, and, and interestingly, like we scored, do we score any points off set piece? I think it was all basically free flowing stuff. It, there wasn't a mall try for us in that game. Um, so very, uh, unusual. We've, we we've sort of, I don't think we intentionally went away from that, that the opportunities we created in the open field just, just came off. Um, and I'll give Toby a chance to jump in, but there, the, the try with um, the slipper hands back inside to Noah and the break there. Some interesting analysis I saw on that one midweek, a bit more going on there than I first caught on the day. Yeah,
0: huge result here. And, you know, we did doubt the Wallabies coming off, you know, a relatively shaky tour of Argentina. Um, And Rennie's been under pressure. We know that. We know that there's been that sort of scrutiny around his coaching abilities and some of the assistants and this team just seems to hold tight and they seem to perform when they're they're under pressure for the most part they kind of need that pressure almost to really bring the best out of them and just some of the play we saw on the weekend I thought was outstanding good control by Noah um, Fords really stepped up physically and changed that element of their game that was lacking a little bit against the Pumas so I think You know, this sits us up really well for a big game in Sydney at a new stadium um, where there's still expectations around, but I think, you know, we had a really good um, couple of games against the Springboks last year, and hopefully we can do it again back-to-back.
1: Who was your MVP um, out of the Wallabies for this? I think there's only really two names you could give it to, and that's Fraser with two tries in this game plus a really clutch goal line sort of steal as well, um, obviously Or third game starting in that number seven jersey, or Marika, again, with a try of his own and just some absolutely bullocking runs as well as some monster hits, um, including the sort of highlight package that has been um, analysed multiple times with his run across half the field to to take out Makazola and um only a metre out from the goal line.
2: Yeah, and, and on top of those two, I'd throw a, a sort of highly commended to Noah as well, who I thought, um, you know, wasn't, wasn't the protagonist um, like those two. The storylines weren't so much around him, but I guess a, a, a game without a lot of errors, you know, a good building game, good confidence building, uh, directing all the troops forwards and backs, uh, he deserves some, some uh, praise there as well. Uh, for me, it's, it's going to be Fraser McWright. I'll stick with my fellow seven, uh, the man. The man I love to love, uh, he was excellent. He's exactly the all, all of his um, key attributes were on display. Just all came off in this game. The supporting lines, the turnovers, the 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 ruck work. Like he's just he's just that energizer bunny. Um, he's having a great little run now. He's getting his cameo while while Hoopers in recovery mode. So um, look, just fantastic for him to to really do it all on the big stage in a big game, be such an integral part uh, in, in ways that back rowers uh, outside of Hooper, maybe we haven't seen so much like that, that really um, su- sort of supporting role where they're always there. They're popping up all the time. They're, they're there for the loose pass, the offload, the, the clear out when you've got no one else. because in- You've gotten a bit isolated. Like he's just, he's just filling all of those roles. He's just tireless. Um, so no excellent game out of him. Um, I'm sure Toby will give uh, Marika a wrap just to balance things out.
0: Yeah, I mean, Marika, what can you say? He's done it so many times to the lobbies, but just that hit he made um, on my really epitomized the way he goes about his game every week. And I think, again, that kind of time in Japan has made him a better player. We've talked about that before, but I think that's really evident. He's playing with a lot of confidence. He doesn't get lost positionally. Um, He's just everywhere he needs to be, can score tries, can save them. And, you know, we're very lucky to have him. I think we just need to nurture that as long as possible, keep him happy, um, you know, allow him the flexibility to play overseas where he needs to. And, you know, it's just a shame we didn't get him into rugby earlier. I mean, we've been blessed with, with what he's offered the Wallabies so far and people are talking about him being the best winger in the world at the moment. And I think it may not even be that close if he continues to play like that. So excellent by him. And he's now one of the veterans in that back line. And I think if we have pieces like that building around players like Noah and Ikitao, um, you know, I think that stands us in really good stead.
1: Did you guys have any problem with that, that tackle on Mpimpi? Um A lot of things made for it, whether they were talking about whether it was no arms tackle, whether it was dangerous. What's the thoughts?
0: I no. thought he got the wrap in. It wasn't, you know, at that sort of speed and, you know, with the collision in that fashion his technique wasn't great he had his head on the wrong side but overall he did what he needed to do he lined him up and he absolutely destroyed him and saved that try so you know I had no problems with it I think he got enough of emotion with the arms coming around um, and it happened that quickly I mean you can't really scrutinize it too much he he hit him low enough and hard enough that there wasn't really any sort of risk I think to my pimpy in terms of any contact towards the the shoulder or or the neck or the head. So, yeah, I think Marika did an outstanding job on that one.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think if you you overanalyze a lot of different uh, instances of that sort of contact at really high pace, you'll find that the contact from a player's shoulder is almost always going to be the first thing because that's when you've, I guess, positioned your body, you've made that contact. The arm, the wrap doesn't... You really get there first because you're not trying to grab the player, you're trying to impact them. Um, and as long as the arms are there to wrap, uh, off like as the shoulder makes contact and, and the actions there, I, I don't see how, given existing precedent, anyone could have an issue with it. And and people, I think Sam Warburton, ex Welsh uh, flanker, was tweeting about um, tackle technique and how you know it's a bit. Dicey, the the technique there with his head on that side of the player. Mm. He's putting himself at risk. And I'm like, okay, that's fair enough. But um, I think the, the response uh, to that, which uh, a couple of people threw out there as well, I'm just parroting it really, was that in in that situation, you you know you need to make um, a really solid connection with the attacker and the risk you have putting your head behind if you get that wrong, you might be safe, but you're going to just slip behind them, and they'll carry their momentum through. Mm. Uh, I guess it's a risk reward. It's, it's. I understand that this is more dangerous, but this is the only way I'm going to carry my weight through that player without kind of glancing the blow. Mm. Um, so, so yes, not not something you teach people to do intentionally, but I guess got to highlight that in terms of the momentum, the stakes of of the of the tackle, like kind of had to be done that way. Um, any more upright or any more um, up up high on Mpimpi was definitely risking you know, head collisions or high tackles, which none of which happened. So I think he managed it really well. It's pretty much the only way he could have saved that try.
1: Yeah, bold, bold for Warburton to come out with those claims. He's I doubt he's ever moved at the speed that um, Marika was moving at in that try. Um, so very, very, very split-second decisions to be made, absolutely.
2: Just to, like that's, to me, that's like intelligent rugby, like that that a player has chosen to do that. Like they've, they've weighed up the risk. It's all happening in your head at a 1,000 miles an hour. you got split seconds to decide. Um, but it's just a, a certain amount of sort of rugby intelligence to, to get that right. Um, and then the other case of that, which I wanted to bring up, was where McWright played his role in opening up that gap for the Trides something that again got analyzed during the week as a um, mm. really good Twitter follow I think it's EK rugby something other might might get the the Twitter account to tweet out the one I'm looking at sort of breaks down in sort of in sections bits of play and annotates and, and gives you a really good idea of the way an attack is structured and it just highlighted how Fraser was, through the ruck before so, Noah's So this is, the,
1: this is the try with the inside pass from Slipper back to Noah, him coming through yeah, right next to the ruck right. and then he offloads to Mick Wright.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, go so, on. There's, so there's a there's a, a goal line dropout. They kick it really wide uh, to the sideline as you would to limit the Australian attack. But Valentini in the centre of the field. They do a big, um, big wide pass, or a, a long pass to the centre to set Valentini up as their platform. Uh, he runs it up, gets tackled. Nick White's there at the base of the ruck, passes left to Slipper. Slipper's telegraphing this pass. Like he's staring back inside the entire time, if you watch. But obviously there's a lot going on. Nick White's wrapping. Um, there's other people hovering at the ruck. And Noah just cuts this line hard between the, the A defender and the ruck. Mm. And the Tom Bags line. The, the Tom Baggs line, the Rob Carney line. The, many people have done it, but um, not consistently enough for the Wallabies, to say the least. Um, but the important thing is the South African defence, that ABC, the first three guys, or what is it, ruck pillar post, whatever we used to call it, have slid out, the gap opens up, and the person that's supposed to fill that gap, uh, according to this account, is the the ruck, per, the ruck tackler, ruck defender from the opposite side. They're supposed to slide across the back of the ruck and fill that as the whole line shifts. And Fraser McWright, who's out the back of the Valentini ruck, is kind of hovering there and not holding anyone, Not really doing anything, but he's about a meter behind the ruck. He's kind of conveniently in the way, and the defender kind of stumbles over his own player, but also doesn't really have a clear line to move into that space because Fraser's lingered there behind the ruck uh, after clearing out. Um, And it all happens so fast; no one goes back and reviews it. But uh, I think looking at it that way, like I'm sure that was part of a bit of a plan. Like you know, we make sure we have someone who's gone through the ruck and just just interferes a little bit with the cover defense just to help help hold that space open long enough and then obviously that person turns into a support runner um, so really well executed obviously very subtle and um, it'll be interesting to see if there's more eyes on this sort of stuff from them um, from the refs from the officials um, in coming weeks if they get sort of clued into to what's going on if Australia attempt this again um, we were already 16 to 9 in the penalty count so a little bit of ill discipline but it's start it's starting to feel like we're almost that all black style of calculated deal discipline like certain times we're accepting a penalty because it's it suits the momentum change we're mm. looking for in the game
1: so is your final thought that that should not have been a try that that was uh, oh i think
2: it's no nah, it's it's subtle enough that i don't think every day they look at that and say oh it shouldn't be a try but i okay. think it's definitely so something gamesmanship that gets
1: more on the part of the wallabies maybe
2: yeah. And I mean, maybe, maybe that's my Australian um, bias yeah, bent on, on it. Yeah, perhaps, but I mean, it's not, it's not like you held him. If any, you know, you could say, oh, you shouldn't have been behind the ruck for that long. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty loose. I think the precedent again would be that that sort of thing happens often enough. We don't go and overanalyze it. You might get unlucky if it happened right near the line and the guy dives and makes a big fuss about it, you know, and Nick White, kind of display of, oh, no, look what happened. You might get the TMO to come back and check it. But Mm -hmm. most of the time, that's just part and parcel of, you know, people can't teleport out of the way after a ruck. They're they're there. It's just whether the the Australians are being a bit savvy and kind of using that timing, the guy's just gone through, blocking a a cover line to their advantage.
0: What I thought was really impressive as well was the pass actually went, like, in front of the referee. Yeah. It was almost like Noel would have been slightly obscured in his vision of that ball, but still ran directly onto it, hit it so well, um, you know, and what a great pass by slips. I mean, he can do everything. This guy standing captain, you know, absolute veteran, just dark arts, everything. So um, yeah, look, there's really, it's really hard for me to, to point any fingers to people that didn't play well or areas that need to be improved, perhaps just the line out and, Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that will, you know, improve this week. There'll be probably something else that we're slightly worried about, but I think the line-out will come together. And, um, yeah, huge performance by the Wallabies. I think it, you can't say enough good things about them, and particularly on home soil in Adelaide, it's so imp- important to have such a good performance in front of that crowd that was an entertaining win, spectacle. Um, that's going to grow the game. That's going to get people interested, and it all... Um, counts towards, you know, building towards 2027 and getting rugby popular more than just in the eastern states, obviously in Perth as well, but, you know, trying to get people around the game as much as possible. So I thought that was really, really good um, by RA and, you know, tribute to them actually getting the game down there in a great stadium at the Adelaide Oval. Um, But, yeah, what can I say? I think the Springboks maybe weren't expecting that. Um, but the Wallabies, yeah, they were class.
1: Yeah, and great to hear that Rugby Australia and Rugby New Zealand seem to have a little covert covert um, meetup in Adelaide, uh, and hopefully, meaning that they're going to finalise something and uh, Super Rugby's future is going to get a little bit uh, more sure in the in the next little while is what we really want to see. Um, but not quite leaving this game yet. The only other area of controversy that Nick White has copped it um, for over the last little while is his dramatic performance potentially um, after copying, uh a bit of a knock from Faf de Klerk, just a glancing blow to his jaw off the back of that scrum. Um, he was going to play on but then thought about it obviously and went, no, actually he's him in the head and he's going to make them do something about it. So, boys, he's copped a lot of flack for this in terms of being against sort of the spirit of rugby. Um, what are your thoughts in it?
0: No, I think it's perfectly valid. And I think that Nick White's a bit of a genius for drawing attention to it in the way he did. And, you know, you've got to take every inch that you can in this game. And if he hadn't reacted in in any sort of fashion, obviously it didn't hurt him too much. But if he hadn't reacted, then there was no way that would have been a yellow card. So, yeah, he, he milked it a bit in the way that he needed to. But Faf should have been better and he should have got the ball. And if you're making direct contact with someone's face, whether it's open, you know, yeah, closed fist, open fist, you know, you're going to probably cop at least a penalty. Yeah. Um, and the way they referee things these days with contact to the head, you know, you can't rule out a yellow card. So Nick White knows FAF very well. They played together and, you know, play against each other in the premiership. They're both mm. very, very clever number nines. And I'm sure Faf will um, you know, in future get one back on him. But Nick White, you know, that's the kind of thing he brings. He will he will do things like that where people are like, well, you're kind of maybe taking an advantage where you shouldn't. But George Gregan used to do it, mm. used to talk to the referee the whole time, be pointing people out in the rock. And that wins you penalties and that gains you a little bit of an advantage. And I think you know, I think it was great. I can see why other people wouldn't like it from other countries. But, you know, I think Nick White, he plays in the right spirit of the game. He's not a dirty player and he doesn't tend to do these things too often unless he needs to and he thinks it's valid. So I back him. I think he, he was brilliant in this game and that was fine by me.
2: Yeah, I'm the same. It's To me, it's as simple as you've, you've swung with a, a hand and you've collected someone in a high contact area, like it's that simple and it's it's a yellow because the force wasn't too bad, but you take the risk, you you pay the price. It's you can't you can't allow something like that to become um you know super common because you'll get guys in third grade knocking out halfbacks because they're just clumsy slobs, right? So you, you've got to stamp it and say, look, that, that's not on, you're gonna get yellowed. If you can pull it off all power to you, but you, you choose to take the risk, you accept the consequences.
1: Yeah, from that point of view, I guess it's the same risk as going for the Innocent these days. You might cop the the yellow card, even if it um, might come off well. And, yeah, the other thing I was thinking about in terms of, like, gamesmanship, the whole thing, you see the same thing with halfbacks, you know, throwing a ball into the um, retiring player that's still offside and milking the penalty that way. It's part of um, it's part of a little bit of the gamemanship. And in these games, as you said, Toby, you have to take sort of every little bit of advantage with five metres out Wanted to try and get out of, our, out of our territory and they gave us the opportunity. So fair enough from that point of view. Um, something that has happened this week with the naming of these teams for the first time under Rennie's Wallabies, we have an unchanged um, starting 15 going up for this weekend game against the Springboks. Um, Springboks have suffered quite a few changes with injuries, some big names like Andre Pollard, look, and you're, um out for the rest of the series, um, Peter Steff to Elton Yang, she's out for at least this game. Um, boys, we're starting to see a little bit of consistency from Rennie's men. Hopefully they can do that with a result this weekend in the brand-new Allianz Stadium in Sydney.
2: It makes such a big impression. First game in the new stadium. It's a sellout crowd. Um, it's going to be such a good atmosphere. And I think the Springbok selections show that um, they're a bit worried they've got a few injuries unfortunately that's you know we've we've been through that pain and I mean to some degree we still are going through that pain um, so that sucks uh, that they can't feel the full strength side but um, certainly when they're bringing Willie really LaRue back into fullback because there just really aren't any better options and they've had to drop Am out of the 15 assuming that's due to injury as well and we've got Jesse Creel, like he's not spent a significant amount of time at 13 for some time so Yeah, I mean that's. I think puts us in a really good position to repeat again.
0: Yeah, I think these these injuries to the Springboks is it's going to be a bit disruptive. They obviously have a fair bit of depth there in their in their squad and they're building a lot of. And there's quite a few young guys coming through, but those guys that are stepping out are significant players in the team and they have been for a long time. So I think it will, you know, it'll be a little bit of a hit for them, but. They've certainly got the message that last week wasn't good enough. I think they'll be right up for this game. I expect it to be really tight. Um, I think we can ride the momentum that we've built um, off the back of last week's performance, but it's certainly going to be really physical. I think they're going to take it to the next level in terms of trying to bash us, probably targeting Noah a little bit more if they can um, to unsettle him. Um, but we've got some good guys coming off the bench. I think that's a real advantage, the sort of impact they have in the second half. It's just important we start well again because that's something we've lacked in earlier games. And you can see if we get an ascendancy early on, it really builds confidence into the team. And then we kind of have the the courage to throw things around and and take some risks there. And and they, they were paying off. So hopefully we can get an early try or two in the first 20 and then just kind of build off the crowd. It's a sellout. It's going to be a great um, atmosphere there in the stadium. So just need to get ahead on the scoreboard. I think that'll really help us.
2: And that was such a huge part of last week too, was the early score, like getting those points on and, and building our own confidence and some momentum from the start. Um, everything just fell into place. I, I hope that's a sign of the of things that come, the new normal, supporting Noah, giving him all the confidence that he's the man. Um, they'll certainly be part of that. We're going to have this sort of team pretty much for the next little while. There's not going to be too many people coming in and out. You know, it'd be nice to keep people like Beal and, and Iceman Foley out of the team because everyone's playing so well and just keep this consistent group together with minimal changes.
1: So, boys, obviously massive game in Sydney, but for the Springboks as well. Um, what are your feelings with this? Obviously, the changes up to the Springboks team, we mentioned a few of them, things like Faf Clerk as well, not um, there. Uh, Dwayne Vermeulen drops down to the bench, um, still probably reeling from that hit from Mariki Korobiti. Um, do you have confidence in this team? Because it's it's been Rennie's Wallaby's um, biggest problem that we can't seem to put together back-to-back wins. It's, it feels like, like South Africa was really the last time that we've really managed to do this convincingly. Um, and again, over Argentina, but probably not a full-strength Argentinian team.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm confident we can do it. I think the stage is set in Sydney. As long as we don't get stage fight there, it's going to be, it's a big atmosphere. It's going to be a huge occasion. Second game ever in that stadium. I think we're good enough on paper to do it. I think we've got enough fuel in the tank coming off the bench with some big bodies like Leota, Samu, that can, you know, really make an impact in the second half. I think we've got a good mix of experience and youth in there. Um and we're, we're kind of riding high. I think our confidence levels are up. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to back us. I'd think, you know, I'd really only take us by three points. I think it's going to be incredibly close. And I think the bookies are seeing it that way as well. Um, but we're slight favourites there. So, it's um like I said, it's a huge thing going into the Bledisloe as well. You know, there's a game on a Thursday night against the All Blacks coming up, which is not going to be drawing as big a crowd in Melbourne, and then it's over to Eden Park. So this is really almost a bit of a line in the sand moment for the Wallabies. They can put this on the board, enter the the All Black Series, you know, with really high confidence levels, and then, you know, finish off well with a spring tour. So I think it's important um, that we really put together a good performance and keep the faith of the Australian public in us. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be huge. I can't wait. We're going to be there. And, um, yeah, we're really looking forward to this one. Hopefully it's a spectacle again.
2: I've just, uh, I've just quickly checked the world rugby officials appointments because Paul Williams, I think, is a really good referee. I think he knows the Australians pretty well, and, and he's, he's a good guy you can talk to um, and, and, and sort of talk about what's going on in the game, and, and he keeps it pretty fair. Uh, this weekend, Ben O'Keefe. Ben O'Keefe will be...
1: Oh, running rugby podcast's favourite referee.
2: Our favourite man. Paul Williams lock, still on the lock. on the sideline. And uh, a French official, Toile Trenini. I haven't heard of him before. And Brendan Pickerel is our TMO. So, uh, look, I think our last um, our last word on Ben O'Keefe was when New Zealand's not in the game. He's not so bad. He's He usually does a scene in super rugby when there's a Kiwi team involved. Um, that's not ideal. I am. Um, I'm not stoked to to find out it's Ben O'Keefe. But look, benefit of the doubt. Maybe he'll be lapping up the stadium atmosphere, uh, understanding the the full house that's going to come down on his head if he doesn't do a good job. Guaranteed
0: um, to be a last minute penalty, isn't it? For. Fran no, Stein just, or someone to kick don't, it. From don't 50 say
2: it. Like oh Fran Stein couldn't kick anything last week. That was that was part of the box problem. Pollard and Stain were were woeful. I can't believe stain still gets a run. He looks like he's been roasting on the bride for <laughs> ten yeah, years. Since he last saw yeah. him. He looks terrible. Um but look like uh I th- I think everything everything from last week builds into this week. Uh I think the South Africans are a bit shaken. They'll they'll come out firing, but we just need to um, sort of withstand that, put on some early points, shake them up again, and I feel like this is our game to lose. So I'm, I'm going to put the Wallabies at five and a half.
1: Well, the bookies have them at just half a point favourites, so more or less a push here, um, expecting a big bounce back. Uh, I think probably the biggest thing we need to worry about um, is managing the set piece again, as Toby highlighted before. Poor out, six lost lineouts in that last game. Um, And the biggest probably changes that I see is the Springboks starting with their um, best front row um, with Malherba marks and off in that front row. So they'll be looking to dominate us, not only in the lineup, but in the scrum as well. And as long as we can control that, not saying that we have to dominate, but we have to be able to um, clean up our own ball and not succumb to penalties on um, multiple occasions from their scrum. Uh, I think that's going to be the biggest sort of telling factor because We've shown now that with some front football, with some open play, that not only our um, backs, but our forwards as well are more than able to cut through um, this team's defense as well. Boys, let's talk about the All Blacks Argentina on the weekend. Um, So, this game, to be honest, watching it, I was just waiting for the All Blacks to break out. I remember looking at it with 60 minutes on the clock and it was 18 to 22. I was like, okay. 20 minutes left in the game, All Blacks only down by four. No way they don't win this. No way they don't come back. But um, the physicality in the defense of the Pumas, yes, they conceded some penalties, but they, they managed to um, hold off, like even when they were sort of getting cut through or those slight breaks from the All Blacks, their defense was able to regroup and remain strong and really impressively hold out this All Blacks team um, that I thought was going to be running all over them. But they made them look like the All Blacks were flustered at points. Um, they seemed to lose structure and it wasn't in a way um, where they normally are able to sort of find holes and get through. They they had a lot of drop ball as well in this one. And Ian Foster's come out and um, named the exact same starting 15 again this week. Um, how, how are you boys thinking about the All Blacks? I mean, you talked about it um, before that it was sort of a gaping wound and only a band-aid over it with that win over the spring box has that wound been opened up even further now
2: oh yeah someone's someone's come past and torn that band-aid off and squeezed some lemon juice in the wound for good measure like records are falling you got you got the first win for the argentinians on new zealand soil like that's a massive that's that's the sort of thing that you just you kind of never expect it, I guess. Argentina are a long way off a team that you expect to travel to New Zealand and, and get a win. So um that's that's a lot of shade thrown. And not like completely deservingly, though, the, the all blacks looked shaken. Uh the kicking from them was poor. Richie and Geordie. Uh, it was a really odd moment um there in the game, I think in um sort of mid-second half where Geordie's kicking them from behind halfway. Like and they're from and they're behind yeah,
1: going. Like, what, yeah.
2: what, what are they who, who's making that decision? That's just a really that's that's so not the clinical blacks, right?
1: we've only ever seen it yeah. for the hurricanes where Geordie's up being asked to make those
2: kicks. But but just to even go for the kick, like it wasn't that wide that you couldn't have sort of bananaed it out and taken a, a line out on the twenty-two or something. Like it's it's just really strange to make that decision. That doesn't feel like all blacks in their right mind sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, just I mean that that to me, just sort of says frailty. Like there's there's something there that's just not quite right. Like Sam Kane it's a little bit like lacking confidence. The constant switching up at fly half, the lack of good options to kind of to settle the centre pairing. that they're, they're trying to settle it now, but obviously it's been quite um, quite sort of uh, mixed over the last little while. With only Rico, who we don't think is the preferred thirteen. Um, holding his position, um, I think this team's much closer to the team they should be running out. Um, but yeah, they just they just didn't look themselves, and and they never quite got on top in this game. Um, they didn't look like they were going to spark that much. They were still really just pummeling the Argentinian line. The Argentinians just took it. They just they just stood their stood their ground and and took it. So. Um, Really interesting to see the All Blacks look a bit one-dimensional, not not really come up with any any really testing play to, to get back in this game and have the old Argentinians just, just suffocate them out. And I'm sure Czech is loving it. Like, look at the wins he's just clocked up. Like, he'd be the happiest man in world rugby at the moment.
0: Yeah, it's an incredible achievement. And obviously, both these losses to Argentina um, have come in the last two years. So both under Foster... Um, and that's not taking anything away from the Pumas. They're they're a pretty good team this year and they're obviously pretty motivated. Checker has that history of getting teams up and it's um, yeah, whatever he's doing is working still. And I think um, you know, perhaps it'll be a bridge too far to get to on the trot against New Zealand in New Zealand, but you really can't rule anything out at this point with this all blacks team. They're playing with, you know, such little confidence and they they seem quite Confused in whichever game plan they're they're choosing to play. Um, selections are cooked. I think the you know persisting with Rico at thirteen, not playing Will Jordan at fullback. There's so many areas of selection. I think um, front row is still not that great. I think Ethan de Groot is is okay. Um, obviously, him and Lomax are a couple of monsters. You know, 6'3", mm-hmm. 125 kilo odd. So they're picking some big boys to try and bash these. Argentinian players, but it's just not working. I don't think they have the cohesion. Um, and, you know, you can imagine, I mean, the scrutiny on them is incredible. They've lost the lot, you know, six out of the last eight games they've played. I mean, we're probably not going to see this sort of poor form for a long, long time once they make the coaching change that they need to do, um, whenever that happens. You know, but the NZIU have really box themselves in here, backing Foster right through to the, the end of the next World Cup and, you know, another loss. What if the Pumas do come through again? I mean, surely they're forced to change their mind on that and, and make a change ahead of the Blood is low.
1: Yeah, really, really tough um, situation that the NZRU have sort of um, pasted themselves into at this at this point. Do you think, like, this is the same thing that we always see with these checker teams where they, six to 12 months, he gets them riled up and there's maybe just that sort of crest and then we're going to see them sort of not manage to maintain this through to the Rugby World Cup?
0: I think generally he has a good two to three years in him overall. If you We kind of saw that with the Waratahs. He won it in his second season with them, then made a really good run of things with the Wallabies um, up until you know, 2015, 2016, and then after that, things started coming a little bit unstuck. Um, but, yeah, look, I think he's just a really motivational guy. He connects with with individual players. They believe in him. And although perhaps his strategies aren't super, um, you know, technical, maybe they're not that nuanced, he, he does seem to really get the belief of the players early on. And, you know, he has history with these guys as well. He's assisted them before, so they obviously are familiar with him, and so that that probably has come a little bit more quickly here. But I think it's it's a great little period for the, for Argentina if they can finish this rugby championship on a high. You know, let's not forget they're top of the table. They can still possibly win this if the Springboks struggle a bit in the last couple of games as well. There's there's every chance they could win the rugby championship, which. Would be amazing. I mean, I was looking just at the history, and it's, it's kind of crazy to think they've been in there for a decade already. Mm. It's gone pretty quickly. Um, um and this has to be the best,
1: the best rugby championship or most competitive rugby championship we've ever seen since the inauguration of Argentina into the game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, the so you're saying New Zealand awesome. are
2: competitive still?
1: I mean, they won above South Africa, so they're not coming last.
0: True. I, I honestly think. You know, I said New Zealand would win it last week. I think they have to win this game. There's no other. There's no other choice. Like they're literally on the ropes again. Similar situation to when they were at Ellis Park a couple of weeks back. Um, I think they'll pull through. But mm. it's again, it's another band aid on that wound. Um, whether it's close or it's comprehensive, I don't think it matters too much. And Australia probably doesn't have a better time in the last however long to come through and and put a couple of good games together and beat the All Blacks and win the Bledisloe back. Mm-hmm. Like It's been 20 years. It's no time like the present. We have to get things together. So hopefully we can focus on their game against South Africa. But if they go down to the, the Pumas, you know, I'm not sure if that helps or hinders the Wallabies going into those next two games. But in terms of the rugby public, I don't think they'll stand for it. There's enough unrest already um i think a lot of people mark robinson will probably go and foster will go it's going to be carnage if, if they lose this game
2: yeah they certainly can't afford to but if they did argentina then get to face the springboks in in their home turf um in what would be almost a you know a win and win out type scenario for them so um great storyline great that it's competitive um you know i sort of sort of chuckle at New Zealand and South Africa's misfortune a little, but um, obviously don't want them to go completely off the rails. But it's it's just kind of you, you – got to latch on to these moments when they show some some weakness or, or you know, appear fallible. Um, because for so long, I think teams like New Zealand have just appeared to be godlike. Like they really – even if they were th- – 20 points down with 20 to go, they, they yeah, ran you down. You they really found didn't a way feel and,
1: like you had any chance. Yeah,
2: that's right. And, and, and that is breaking and that's terrible for them because that's been so much of a, um, a, a piece of their armory is just this mental strength and the history and the, um, the intimidation of, of that potential always hanging over the opposition, but, um, you know, really want to see the, the a competitive game, not just have New Zealand storm home, um, And then definitely it's the Wallabies' chance to try and rip this Bledisloe back onto our shores.
0: What I'm curious about, I mean, I wonder if South Africa leaving Super Rugby has some part to play in all this, in that, you know, domestically, a lot of these Kiwi players aren't facing, you'd say, as high a calibre opposition. And so that's worked against them for the last couple of years. You know, they play us the most regularly, and we know that a lot of the Australian teams have struggled in recent times, apart from, say, the Brumbies and at times the Reds as well. I think, you know, maybe that's coming back to really hurt the All Blacks now in terms of having that really high um, high quality teams to be playing against week to week. And it was a little bit different back in the day when Super Rugby was inclusive of, you know, the, the Jaguares and all the the kind of good South African teams perhaps that's now really starting to affect them. And, you know, I think they've struggled to evolve. They probably haven't evolved their game enough in the last couple of years. Um, But who knows really what? Is it just a coaching thing? Is it something more? I guess we will find out, but it's interesting to see it play out.
2: I've also lost a few guys um, to sort of sabbaticals. So there's a bit of that disruption, guys like Brody Ritalik, even Damian McKenzie, um, that they, they are in just a, a bit of a um, a small pond for, for really talented front rowers after a bit of a golden period there. Um, and and even, just, like I said, just the rotation at fly half, the fact that they haven't had a Dan Carter just holding his spot um, just for that consistency and the combination with a halfback. You know, Aaron Smith's staying to age out. He's still excellent, but he's got a different guy outside him every couple of games. Like, all those things just turn them into like a team like the Wallabies or like Argentina or like Wales, like just change and and difficulty. Mm, Suddenly they have combinations
1: instead of just being consistency.
2: The the mind meld isn't there because they haven't been able to maintain the same group consistently. And I think like Toby's saying, I think part of that is the coaching because couldn't pick and stick, like obviously felt influenced to pick certain players at certain times. And then Mm. when it, when they had a bad game, you'd flip or, you know, you'd change. You maybe shouldn't have picked that guy to begin with. And it just breaks down that consistency and the the combinations that were such a strength for them. Um, They're more like every other team in the world that um, has to make tough choices, doesn't always get them right. Can't just rest on their laurels of, you know, everyone's got 50 caps under their belt and they've all played with each other for 20 of those. They know each other inside out.
1: Yeah, and it,
0: it really hasn't been the case that they've struggled this much since the late 90s, early 2000s, when Australia did have that really golden period of rugby. Um, so, yeah, it's been 20, 25 years before, you know, since they've actually been through a period like this. And I I feel like something is really different there. Maybe it will all shift. Maybe Scotty, Scotty Robertson will come in and we'll suddenly be turning things around right away, like, you Know doing a bit of a Michael checker on them, um, but I think possibly the problem is bigger than that. We'll we'll wait and see. But you know, if they were to lose Sam Whitelock, if they were to lose Ritalic out of that 23, I think that that Ford pack has so many holes in it now. Um, and yeah, again, don't like have a stable front row, you
1: don't have a stable back row. Um,
0: yeah, it's a weird back row combination, as we've said with Artie Sevilla. I mean. The way he plays will catch up with him at some point, and he probably does need to be playing seven instead of Sam Kane. I think he's out of form. And then you haven't been able to settle on a number six. Um, and again, they, they really haven't had a, a dominant number eight for a long time in that classic sense. So when your back line goes missing, when those combinations aren't working, they just really have nothing to fall back on.
1: Mm. What do you think the margin is this weekend?
2: I reckon, I reckon New Zealand will win. I, I, I can't see Argentina Argentina getting two on the trot, um, but I, I think it's still competitive. I'm, I'm going to put New Zealand up by 10.5. Nick I'll Berry's say, on the whistle, by the way.
0: Yeah, I mean, Nick Berry gets a bit whistle-happy, um, which could work against the Pumas, I think, if New Zealand play it smart. I would say... Probably six and a half All Blacks. I mean, it could be a lot more. It was fifteen to one Pumas to win last week. That's not going to happen again. Obviously, they've got to give them some respect, but I think New Zealand still deserve to be favourites.
1: Do you think that that's what the margin on the TAB New Zealand is going to be?
2: I think the TAB margin is probably more than the ten and a half. Like it's I said probably like it's probably 16. still fourteen and a half something. I mean, it's still high because we're at hits
1: at 14 and a half. Um, yeah. but yeah, Argentina only four dollars $4. fifty this week as opposed to 15, as you said, um, last week. So, what a multi so- that would have been. 14, 14 points still seems like a lot to expect the all blacks to win by. I, I wouldn't like. be,
0: yeah, I wouldn't be taking the handicap on that. Mm. I mean, the Pumas surely they keep it relatively. Type, I mean, they, know, they've shown their the game plan points. now
1: um, to be strong in defense and they'll take the points when they're on offer. And you've got Buffelli that's just nailing them all over the park. So they'll accumulate points and they'll be happy to go up in threes in this one um, and hope that they can break through. But they won with scoring less drives last week. They'll, they'll think they can do it again. But They're a big
0: case team as well. Like, yeah.
1: They're like France a
0: little bit. Like when they have that passion, that fire you know, they really do step up to the mark. And you've seen New Zealand struggle against teams like that. So it could
1: just continue to roll on. That's why Czech is such a great sort of option at coaching, I think, for them, because he just adds to that so well. Other news around the world, guys, and the men's um, Aussie Sevens managed to claim a victory or claim bronze in LA, but meant an overall series win of the World um, Rugby Sevens for this year, which is some great, great work by them. Um, so, so a little bit of, to celebrate all around the rugby Australia moving forward as well. Um, but i one more week here, um, round four of the rugby championship. And then we get a bit of time off as teams travel. And as Toby mentioned, um, that midweek game coming up for the first Bledisloe down in Melbourne, um, for now, though, guys, make sure you are following and liking us on our social media pages on Instagram at Running Rugby Podcast or on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod, as well as liking and subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. Toby, Leah, I'm, I'm jealous of you boys going to Allianz this weekend, I'm going to watch the Wallabies v. Springboks. Going to be a great, great night out. Um, lucky enough to get to that stadium meeting Tobes for their sort of just open day um and it absolutely looks epic in there it's already sold out so it'll be an amazing atmosphere but enjoy it i'll be i'll be back here unfortunately i'll be working but i'll I'll catch the game and for the rest of us let's just keep on running run